So, he is coming, part two. Last week, uh, I only got to about page eight. As I said last week, typically in my sermons, I can go eight pages and know it's about 45 minutes. So we're starting on page eight, and hopefully I'll get through page 19, so in 45 minutes. But last week, we, we talked about, we were in Matthew chapter 24, and in chapter 24, verse 3, there are three questions that are asked. Last week, we answered that first question when the disciples asked, when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus goes on and talks about that in Luke chapter 21, verses 22 through 24. He says, how terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be a disaster in the land and a great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword and sent away as captives to all the nations of the world, and Jerusalem will be trampled down by Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. This is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The time of the Gentiles comes to an end. This literally took place. Jerusalem was destroyed. The Jews were taken away as captives, spread all throughout the world. And until 1967, the Jews did not have control of Jerusalem. Okay, Israel became a nation again in 1948, but it wasn't until 67 that they now regained control of Jerusalem from the Gentiles for the first time in millennia, 2,000 years plus, actually longer than that, because since the Babylonian captivity, I mean, it, it's just, it's crazy stuff, but very cool. But 1967 is a very big deal because it is showing end time things coming and taking place, coming back to happening. So again, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Mark 13, we... There could be a lot of confusion as to how end times things take place because we don't necessarily understand how the chapters are written out. In Luke 21, Jesus starts talking about end times things. And then in verse 8 through 11, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. He answers that first question. And then, from verses 12 through 24, he goes back to talking about end times. Okay? So he goes, end times, destruction of Jerusalem, end times. Okay? In Matthew 24, again, Luke, Matthew, both Gospels, both hearing this, but as, as you know, I can hear one thing, Pastor Kyle can hear one thing, and we can write it out completely different. Or he may write something first that I don't write first. Right? Or I should say, correct? <laughs> Same thing here. Matthew and Luke are hearing this, but they're writing it from different perspectives. Whereas in Luke, he goes, end times, destruction of Jerusalem, end times. Matthew writes a straight narrative. Three questions, three answers in the order that they're asked. Okay? <laughs> so in Matthew, it goes, destruction of Jerusalem. Just really quick. Then we go to, okay, when will these things happen? When will be a return? When is the end of the world or the end of the age? So it goes, destruction of Jerusalem, signs of the second coming of Christ. When will you come back? We go into that. And then the end of the age or the end of the world from Matthew chapter 24. So in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 26, we have a section where these are the signs that precede the second coming of Christ. Every theologian will attest to that. These are the signs before the second coming of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 27 through 31, is the second coming. 
And then we'll get into more of that. So that's just a quick review of some things. If you want to get more into it, you can listen to last week's message. But here's a correlation, something very interesting. We're going to be a bit in both, but to go to Revelation chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James because that's the Bible I have in front of me. And I'm going to read the entire chapter and then go back into Matthew 24. Uh, it's believed, and you will see this, that Matthew 24, verses 4 through 26, coincide with Revelation chapter 6. We see the same things taking place. Uh, a question asked a couple weeks ago, I think it was Barb that asked it, she goes, where is, or where, where are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Revelation chapter 26, we'll get to that right now. So, uh, Revelation 6 verse 1 says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened up one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures. This isn't going to be up on the screen, so if you didn't bring your Bibles, start bringing your Bibles to church or open your phone up. I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given him a great sword. Verse 5, when, this, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice in the fourth living creature said, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. And the power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger and death, and by the beasts of the earth. Interesting. I, a quarter of the world's population dies as a result of this. We're not in the tribulation yet. This has never happened. Okay? I think the only time this could have happened would have been maybe in Genesis, when there was like Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. But that's, don't get doctrine on that or start creating things. But again, we, we don't, we've never even lived in a time. I mean, even, even up until nuclear warfare, even just take muskets and guns, how, how could you go across the whole world and kill a quarter of the world? It hasn't happened. It, honestly, it could not happen until this time right now. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, by, slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, O holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood those who, on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the numbers of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed, as it were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and the fig tree drops fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it 
is shaken by the mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Flip back to Matthew 24. As you go through Matthew 24, you can see a correlation between Revelation 6, I'm going the wrong direction, and what we've just read. People will say, well, the first horse, the first white horse, is that Jesus? No, I don't believe it is. It says that he is on a white horse and he's carrying a bow. You can go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, in the second coming of Christ. It says he's coming on a white horse and he has a sword proceeding out of his mouth. Most believe that this one on the white horse is probably the Antichrist. He conquers, he rules, he deceives, he does all these things. And as we read in Matthew 24, oh, I actually had it marked, good. Verse 4 it says, and Jesus answered, said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Who's the, who's the great deceiver? Yes. The Antichrist, right. Satan is. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There you go, the second horse. You know, warfare, bloodshed. He says he comes with the sword, his fiery red. There will be famines. Third horse. He was talking about um, um, how, I, I, my mind just lost it, but basically says like a loaf of bread or really what it would take to make a loaf of bread is like sold for like a day's wages. You know, you, you imagine inflation, when, when, when supply and demand shifts, things can become very expensive. So famine is such that just to not just buy a loaf of bread, but just to buy what you need to make a loaf of bread costs you what it costs to work a day's wage. Now, let's just take, right now, let's go to 15 bucks an hour. 15 bucks times, let's, just, let's make it easy, 10 hours, $150, let's say that's a day's wages at 15 bucks an hour. $150 for that which it takes to make a loaf of bread? That's pretty extreme famine, right? Third horse. Uh, it goes on, it says, pestilences, earthquakes, in various places. That's the fourth one. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. There we got the fifth horse, or fifth one, fifth seal right there. To kill you, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will, offend, will be offended to betray one another and will hate one another. It keeps on going on beyond that. But understand, there's, there's, so we can see a correlation, again, the same guy, when I say guy, that's actually disrespectful. This God, Jesus, who inspired Matthew, also Revelation. You can find the, the correlations between the two. And then he comes back. Matthew 20, uh, 24, verse 27. It says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes through as so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The second coming. Okay? For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. We'll get to that later. Uh, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. Okay. 
Of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will be appearing in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So, again, I believe he's talking about gathering his people Israel. We'll get into that in a moment. But, again, I want to go just to the breakdown of things. We have here in Matthew 24 questions. When will this happen? The destruction of the temple? What are the signs of your coming, your second coming? When is the end of the age or the end of the world? We'll get to that as well. And he goes, okay, Second question, sign, 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 sign. All these things leading up to my second coming. Then he stops. Verse 32, he talks about the parable of the fig tree. A lot of people believe and most that that is the rebirth of the nation of Israel, 1948. Verse 37, he says, then it's going to be something unexpected is going to happen. It's going to be like the days of Noah. They didn't expect the flood to take place. But this, this third question being answered, when is the end of the age? It'll be like the times of Noah. It'll be unexpected. You won't know when it's going to happen, it just will. Verse 40, and he has an illustration of two servants. One is taken, one is left. Jesus comes when things are not expected, is what we're talking about here. Then we have Matthew 25, we have the ten virgins, three servants. And then uh, from Matthew 25, verse 31, we have the final judgment. I know that's a lot, but we're just doing an overview today. So, Matthew 24, we have event. Event, event, event. All these things happening. Then the second coming of Christ. Then he says, I'm sorry, event, event. He says, watch for him because it was expected. He said, okay, when these events are happening, watch. Jesus is coming back. Then he comes because his coming is expected. We all know, okay, seven years of the tribulation, then Jesus comes back, right? That's like common knowledge in the church. We know when his second coming is supposed to be. So we watch for that coming. Then we have an unexpected event. In verse 37, another unexpected event. Verse 40. And then 25, another unexpected event. So, again, Matthew 24 is a narrative. Three questions asked, and in the order the questions were asked, Jesus answers those questions. Destruction of the temple... When is the second coming? When is the end of the age? That may seem like a lot, but you can read through it, and maybe that just helps a little bit. If you want to, even on your notes, just write, event, 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 Jesus comes back. We watch for him, he comes back. Then all of a sudden, unexpected, unexpected, unexpected events take place, end of the age. So, his coming is an unexpected event, at the end of the age. Okay, again, let's just, just, just so you know these three questions, you can underline Matthew 24, verse 3. Later Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? What is this? The destruction of the temple. What sign will signal the return, whose return, his return, and the end of the world? Again, I don't like that word, world, because, and we'll get to that in a moment, because that is not what the Greek word means. So, 
Today I want to get into this second question and the third question. The second question is, what will the signs of your coming be? He gives a series of signs and then he talks about his coming. This will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. Watch, and then I'm coming. Then he has a third question. What will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, again, in the New King James, the NLT, and others, they say the end of the world. The Greek word for this end of the age or end of the world is A-I-O-N, aeon. It means an age, a cycle of time. So that sounds a lot different than the end of the world, right? Helps us understand a little bit more. As I said, as we look through the times, we have different times. Like right now, we live in the time of the church, the dispensation or era of grace, the church. I believe that's that third question. When will this age end when the tribulation will begin? When will this be? The church age. If you think about it, we'll, we'll get more of this in a couple of weeks when I talk about, we'll get into Revelation chapter 7 and 144,000 all this different stuff. But the church age is unlike any other age. I mean, even when Jesus was walking on this earth during his time of ministry, he was there for the Jews. Remember, he, he told the, the, the Gentile woman, I'm not here for you. I'm here for Israel. There was a separation between them. The church age is the only time where Jew and Gentile are brought together as one in the church. It seems like there's more Gentiles than Jews in the church. But it's, I mean, it's meant to be one big body, the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. That is who we are in the times we're living in right now. From Acts, the book of Acts, until now, until now God has done something different. He's had this, this time of grace the church age, where you can't just cover sin. Your sin is removed. Jesus died on the cross to remove our sins and restore the right relationship between us and God. We live in this time right now. They're saying, when will that time be over? You see, at the end of the church age, when the last believer has come into the church, we believe that we go home. Amen. We're raptured. It's called the resurrection. It's, it's all throughout the, well, I say all throughout the Bible. It actually is Old Testament and New Testament. We'll get into that in a little bit. But we go back. The Bible says that Jesus comes, gets his bride, and we go to his father's house with him and we're with God forever. Amen. That is at the end of the church age, that the rapture of the church takes place. Third question answered. The tribulation, this, the next stage to come after the church, is not triggered, I'm sorry, the church age is not stopped or ending by the tribulation. The church age stops at the resurrection, at the rapture. It's the rapture that ends the age of the church. That's what we believe, and that's, that, that's what I believe too, and we'll get more into that in a moment. The tribulation is now a separate time or age. Same word, aeon, A-I-O-N, okay? In Matthew 24, verse 40, it says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. This is not talking about before that, I mean, we, we saw Jesus comes back, Matthew 24, verse 27, 
And then now we go back into this, because again, it's a narrative. He's answering questions in the order in which they were asked. It says it'll happen like a thief in the night. It would suggest between what we read here in Matthew 24, verse 40, and into 25, that he's talking about the end of an age. I would say the end of the church age. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. I mean, we, we've, uh, I'm going to say we've not discussed this, but in church circles we've, we've talked, what prophecy has to happen in order for, or what thing has to happen for the rapture to take place? Nothing. We don't know. We don't know when it's going to happen. So we have to be prepared. It's unexpected. It happens. So, again, I know I'm hitting this hard, but the reason why is because there can be so much confusion, it seems like, with end times and how the order of things are. Three questions. Temple, second coming, end of the age. Matthew 24, a narrative answered in that exact order. And in that, it makes sense why he talks about what he does in Matthew 24, verses 40 through 42, and going into Matthew 25. Two in the field, one working, one taken, one left. Two grinding a flower, one taken, one left. Why? Makes sense that that's the rapture. That's the resurrection. That's that third question being answered to his disciples. Now remember, when we're talking about the tribulation period, we're going, we're going to take a step back here. As we talked about last week, it is the biggest, greatest, most cataclysmic I could say it. I, I, let's I say it twice. Cataclysmic event the world has ever seen. Nothing was like it before. Nothing will be like it after. The tribulation has not happened yet. Okay? It's greater, Jesus says, it's greater than the flood of Noah. It's, it's more disastrous than that. It's worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's worse than the first destruction of the temple. Solomon's temple. It is bad. So bad, nothing's ever been seen like it. This is what we read about in Revelation chapter 6. I mean, again, can you imagine? I mean, mountains being flattened by earthquakes. I mean, darkness. I mean, a quarter of the world's population dead. Deception unlike we've ever seen before. It's a bad time. This is what we see in Revelation. But you know what? We also see this in other parts of the Bible as well. This is what makes the Bible such an amazing and fantastic book. Is it just doesn't talk about something in one place. It talks about this all throughout the Bible. Turn with me to, to Jeremiah. This will be up on the screen for you. Chapter 30. And I'm actually going to read this in the New King James just because, again, I like the way it reads. But from verses 7 to 11, it says, Alas! For that day is great. Again, we'll say, what, what day are we talking about? We'll get to that. So that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Time of Jacob's trouble this is the tribulation period. And again, Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? Jacob is the father of Israel. Remember, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He's the father of the nation. So we're talking about this, this horrible time, the time of Israel's trouble. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. 
Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of the nations where I have scattered you. Yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice, and you will not let and will not let you go altogether unpunished. I like the NLT says, in all of history there has never been such a time of terror as this time. This goes right to the tribulation. There never has been, there never will be such a time of terror as the tribulation period. That's the first thing we get from this passage. Second is this, Israel will be saved out of it. All throughout this, this, this text, we see again and again and again, the tribulation period, why are we having it? To have Israel turn back to God. They forsook him so many times. This is the event of all events, to see them brought back to him. We'll get into a lot more detail as to this and the covenants that God has put in place uh, in a later message. But that's the purpose of the tribulation. Again, when we read the book of Revelation, it should say the revelation of Christ. The revelation of Christ to who? The revelation of Christ to Israel. They've always been and always shall be his special people. He hasn't discarded them. The tribulation is specifically intended to turn Israel back to God, to make them believers in Jesus, the Messiah. The one that they missed the first time because they didn't want to see him. Third is this, the yoke of Gentile bondage is going to be broken. Verse 8, it says that. So, I mean, look at, look at Israel all throughout history. There's always been this oppression from Gentile peoples, from nations, from countries. It's going to be broken after the tribulation. They will never again be under, Israel will be under Gentile control. Four, they'll be under the rule of God and David their king. This is interesting. This is why I wanted to switch from... Um, NLT to King James. Look at verse 9. It says, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Now, we believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, those who have died, I mean, you can read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, we'll be in Thessalonians a little bit. But there is a resurrection from the dead. We call it the blessed hope. Amen. You know, that, we, that we will rise up, that we will be glorified, that we will be brought up to God and we are a, a new glorified creation. Do you understand? It's not just the church. It's all saints of old, including David. He will resurrect from the grave. This is some cool stuff. And if I'm reading this right, it says, they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up from the dead. So David actual David, I mean, you read through the Bible, it says, you know, his kingdom shall never end, right? We know that's a messianic prophecy, but what about if it's also saying that during this time through eternity, he's going to rule and reign over the, over the nation as a king? I think it's pretty cool. Amen. It's the resurrection. Five, there's a salvation of God from God. And then six, there's a judgment of the Gentile nations. All of this goes along with the timing of the tribulation period. So Old Testament, New Testament, throughout, we can see things taking place. But here's, again, why I want to kind of get to 
as I was saying, we have, you're going to get so tired of hearing this, but you're going to know it. The destruction of the temple, signs, events of the second coming, and then what's the end of the age going to be like? It's important to know how all this stuff works for us in the church. A couple weeks ago on Wednesday nights, I mentioned something called replacement theology. We talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but part of what makes it confusing as far as how we see the events of the end taking place is by the doctrines we believe. Now, I said last week at, the, at 70 AD, the Jews were looking at Zechariah chapter 14. You're going to have to just look at, look at it later. But they saw Zechariah chapter 14 as it was taking place in 70 AD. So when they're surrounded by all sides, stay in the city and wait because the Messiah is coming. Now, that's actually the second coming. They were missing the first coming because Jesus has already died on the cross and ascended into heaven. Okay? But the Jews thought in 70 AD, Zechariah chapter 14 was being fulfilled. Okay, I need to slow down because I don't want to confuse people. In Luke chapter 21, as we talked about last week, Jesus in detail talks about what will take place, the destruction of the temple. When it says, no stone will be left upon it. He was not talking about Zechariah 14. He was talking about what was coming in 70 AD. And so the Christians... When they're surrounded by Rome, when Titus has them all surrounded, they say, hey, we're surrounded, let's get out of here. The Jews thought, why aren't the Christians staying with us to fight? The Messiah is coming. Okay, they got the Jesus thing wrong. The Messiah is going to come. We have to to stick it out. And so from 66 AD to 70 AD, the city was under siege. The Christians were already out. When Titus overthrew the city... The Jews were killed, sold into slavery. Horrible things took place in 70 AD. And at that point, the Jews really hated the Christians more than ever. And it seems like after 70 AD is when the real persecution of the church, like hardcore stuff really started taking place, where there was, um, you know, the, the Colosseum and Christians were torn up by lions and killed. And for some, what, 330 years... The Christian church was persecuted extremely, extremely hard. And really, it was the Jews who were taking the church people, the Christians, and bringing them to Rome. Bringing them to, they were like the bounty hunters, bringing the Christians in. It was a horrible time. I mean, I don't know about you, but if somebody was tearing my family apart and killing them, I'd have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. But then right around 400 AD, the tides turned. All of a sudden, Rome became Christian. Catholicism became the religion. And with that, there's a guy named Augustine. Augustine is the one who started this thing called replacement theology. He could not fathom the idea that the Jews, that that God would keep the Jews because they forsook his son, because they persecuted the church. There's no way they could have any part of this. So the church is going to replace Israel. The church is now the new Israel. And so from there, all the way up to about 1500 A.D., That was the main theology. Around 1500 AD, all of a sudden, now you have the Protestant church coming into play and all these different things, and the theology is kept. That can work, I guess, if you don't think the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation period. I know this is a whole lot, okay? You can study some more yourself, and we'll talk more in depth about this on Wednesdays. 
But all throughout the Bible, God has never forsook his people. I'm not sure if it's going to be this, this, this next week or the week following, but I'm going to get into a lot more detail about the covenants that God has made. And God doesn't break his covenants. Israel is not forsook. The whole book of Revelation is about getting them to turn back to see that God is God and that Jesus is the Messiah. To get them to turn back to him. Jeremiah 30, 11. For I am with you and will save you, says the Lord. I talked so much last week, my throat got dry, so. I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you, but I will not completely destroy you. God cares about Israel. He cares about them. He's not replacing them. They may have been nearly destroyed, but they're not destroyed. I will discipline you, but with justice. Yes, I mean, the tribulation period, there is, there is discipline. Israel's been disciplined for thousands of years, but they will come back to God. I will discipline you, but with justice. I cannot let you go unpunished. Because he's just, Right? I believe that replacement theology is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. God never lets go of his people. Yeah. We'll get more into some... I, have, I, I can't get off track here because I have so many things going over my head. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting about, you know, you, have you ever heard the term anti-Semitism? Yeah. Do you realize, I was reading, there's, there's a website. Um, it shows anti-Semitic views and actions throughout the world, do you realize that 24% of the church is anti-Semitic in some way, shape, or form? Wow. Do you know that Matthew, or Genesis chapter 12 says that, that those who curse you, re- referring to Abraham's children, are cursed, and those who are blessed are blessed? The church does not replace Israel. Come on. And it's crazy that there could be anti-Semitic attitudes towards God's people. But it goes into with end times and how things work. Sorry for the rabbit trail there. We'll get back on track now. God does not get over Israel. He never gets rid of them. He doesn't get rid of the church. But he does get rid of the Gentile nations who have oppressed them. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, Flip over to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Who is he talking to? Michael, who is he talking to? Who is your nation? Daniel, right? What was, what was Daniel? He was a Jew. Who was his nation? Israel. Okay. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than, since, greater than any since nations first came into existence. Can we agree that is the tribulation time again? So we see in Jeremiah 30, Matthew 24, again here in Daniel chapter 12, that there is a time unlike ever before or after. Tribulation period. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Who is your people? Well, it's the church. No, it's not. It's Israel. Okay, we're talking about Israel. This is, again, showing that God does not forsake Israel. Whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Verse 2. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. Resurrection. 
some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. The second death. So two things happen that we see in this passage. Israel will be rescued at the end of the tribulation period. Because that's what we were talking about, right? That's the context of these two verses. We're talking about this time that's worse than any other time ever before. Israel will be rescued at the end of that. And there will be a resurrection from the dead. Part of the confusion that takes place with eschatology and the timelines of the end times, eschatology is the study of end times, is this phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, it's a term that's used all throughout the Bible. It means the tribulation, the day of the Lord, tribulation period. The second coming of Christ is the day of the Lord. The millennium is the day of the Lord. The earth destroyed and made new is the day of the Lord. These are all used for that. It is interesting. I was talking to Dennis before church, and he said, hey, I was reading Ezekiel, and there's this phrase called the son of man. That's the term, right? It's like, I've always wondered what that meant. It just means humans or humanity. See, there's this phrase throughout the Bible, one such being again is like the day of the Lord. It's not just meant for an event. It's meant for a number of events. Second coming. Resurrection, millennium, all those things. You know, the Israelites, they were wanting the day of the Lord. And when you read in the book of Amos, they were talking about how, oh, we want the day of the Lord to come. We want the day of the Lord to come because they saw the day of the Lord as a time of blessing and restoration and all these things. And Amos writes or prophesies to Israel in chapter 5, verse 18, says, What sorrow awaits for you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here? You have no idea what you are wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. Because again, they, they saw, they were coining the, the day of the Lord with them being brought back into power. That wasn't the next day of the Lord to come for them. Is that confusing? Or are we on the same page? Give me a nod if, we, if, you, if we're on the same page. Okay. It'll bring darkness, not light. Verse 19. In that day, you'll be like a man who runs from a lion. I love this. Only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against the wall of his house, and he's bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless, without a ray of joy or hope. Does that sound like tribulation? Escape a lion only to be met by a bear, only to get away from the bear to put your hand up against the house because you're tired and get bit by a snake. Times are going to be bad. And not only bad, doubly, triply bad. You see, the next scenario of the day of the Lord for Israel is the tribulation period. And according to Amos, that is going to be a bad day. I have a niece, when she was about four years old, maybe she was yeah, three or four years old, there was another one of our relatives who was about her age, and she wasn't very nice to her, this other person to my niece. And my niece saw this girl come, and she goes, Oh, that's a bad day. <laughs> Meaning that being with this other person this is going to be bad. <laughs> but here's how it is for Israel. The next day of the Lord is going to be a bad day. It's going to be the tribulation. The Bible even says in Matthew 24, uh, this is in the King James Version, it says, For then shall be a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should, no, there should no flesh be saved. 
but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Who are the elect? It's not the church. The elect is Israel. The tribulation period is shortened so they would not be totally destroyed as it says in Jeremiah chapter 30. The tribulation must be shortened or there would be nobody left on the planet. Now, uh, let's talk about... uh, Let's keep going on this. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we, and the, towards the end of it, we, we have the rapture of the church taking place. And it, it talks about that and the thief in the night, or uh, all the different things. It says at the very end, verse 18, it says, comfort each other in this. Because, again, Thessalonica, there was a church there, right? There was Christians there, Jews and Gentiles. And they were scared that they were actually in the tribulation period right then. And so Paul is writing them saying, hey, no, no, all these things are going to be taking place. And not only that, you're going to be raptured out ahead of time. So comfort one another in this. And in chapter five, he says, now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you for, you know, quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So the day of the Lord's return, okay, begin the tribulation period. So it's like two things coincide here. The rapture is unexpected, but so is the day of the Lord, this, 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 this coming of the tribulation period. So when the rapture takes place, this day of the Lord for Israel, the tribulation also takes place. They coincide with one another. Look at verse 3. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. There's no escape from the tribulation period. Again, he said, this has to be shortened or everybody would die. I have to come back and intervene. So the first thing that happens in the day of the Lord or tribulation is sudden destruction. And when this happens, people are saying peace and safety. Again, what, what's one of the triggers that we all know starts the tribulation period? A seven-year peace accord, Right? Isn't it crazy how every American president since, you know, Israel has become a nation has been trying to make peace in Israel? They talk about the one that Trump has right now, has one of the best peace accords that could be, but now Palestine's even uh, rebuffing against that. Here's part of the reason. Uh, Just like when Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed, Titus didn't want the temple destroyed. He wanted to keep it there. But yet somehow it got burned up because when Jesus prophesies something, it's going to happen. Man can't stop it. So God also has a time when the tribulation will begin. Reagan, Bush, Obama, Clinton, Trump, any one of them can try to make this peace happen, but it's going to happen on God's timing. When God says the doors are open for this time to start, peace and safety, that's when it will be. Not before, not later, his perfect timing. I want to get in a bunny trail right now so bad. I'm trying to stay focused so that I make sense. I think there's a lot of things that could put us so close to this, this time of peace and safety uh, that are taking place right now in our world, but I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so when this happens, people will be saying peace and safety. So the tribulation period, when it begins, people are like, oh, things are good now. And all of a sudden, the church is gone. All of a sudden, tribulation is taking place. Horrible. Wow, I didn't see this coming. It is unexpected. It is unex, unexpectedly happening. 
So right before this day takes place, the world is saying, peace and safety. Now, again, Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica. Let's go to verse 4. But you aren't in the dark about these things. This is the church. So, so Paul is saying, okay, this stuff's going to happen, but you're not in the dark about it. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Okay, the church is not going to be surprised that it's going to take place. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus and not pour out his anger upon us. King James says wrath. Tribulation actually means wrath. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you already have been doing. Again, remember Amos chapter 5.18 says the day will bring darkness, not light. The tribulation period will bring darkness, not light. We're not children of the dark. We're children of the light. Jesus is coming back. When he does, you're going to hear a trumpet. The Bible says we're going to meet him in the air. And we should comfort one another for that. Because we're not made for God's wrath. We're saved by the Son. But those who are left here, just as we don't expect the rapture, just do-do-do-do, we're up, we're, whoa, that's cool. Same time, unexpectedly, sudden destruction upon those who aren't the church. But we're not of the night, you're of the day. We're not appointed for destruction. We're not appointed for anger or wrath. We are appointed for salvation. Therefore, comfort one another. That's what Paul is saying. This is the teaching of the passage. For me, deliverance. For those who know Jesus, deliverance. But for those who don't, sudden destruction. That's the day of the Lord that's coming next. Flip to the next book, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. It's another illustration of the day of the Lord. In verse 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Gathered to meet him, raptured, resurrected. Verse 2, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. So people in this time were saying, the tribulation is here. Paul is saying, no, it's not. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. So there was people out there saying, well, Paul, I'm going to put Paul's name on this. Tribulation is here. Oh, God gave me this epiphany. The tribulation is here. Oh, an angel told me the tribulation is here. Paul is saying, no, knock that stuff off. I'm telling you right now, it is not yet. So the church was worried that they were in the time of the day of the Lord in this time in Thessalonica. Paul is writing them and saying, no, you are not. So he goes on in verse 3. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion, King James says apostasy, against God, and the man of lawlessness or perdition is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object, I'm sorry, 
He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call good and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. This is talking about the Antichrist. We're going to get into more of this on Wednesday night. I have a video I want to show. Just, it, it's just going to make your little conspiracy mind just go nuts, because it makes mine do that. So they're being told, okay, in this time, there is going to be a great apostasy, a falling away from God. There's going to be this guy who is the Antichrist, Satan incarnate. He's actually a pseudo-Christ. Oh, okay, I've got to get back on track. You have to understand, I've been reading so much and studying. I'm trying to stay on my notes. And stuff I want to talk about in a couple weeks from now are, are just sort of just seeping into my mouth right now. Okay, back on track. Paul is telling them that they are not in the day of the Lord because when they do, they're going to see some things taking place. They're going to see a great falling away as in verse 3. During the day of the Lord, people are going to worship the Antichrist. Jews, unbelievers, and those who have claimed to be believers as well. It's going to be a worldwide religion. The coexist bumper sticker has not happened yet, okay? I hate that bumper sticker. But that is what they want. That one world religion. People are going to be calling other people God or gods. This is part of the tribulation period. When you see this, you know the Antichrist is going to be revealed. You know, interestingly enough, when Paul is writing this, Nero, who thought he was a god, who was a Roman emperor, Paul didn't call Nero the Antichrist. Those who think the tribulation has already happened, that's what they think oftentimes. Well, Nero is the Antichrist. No, he's not. Even Paul said he wasn't. Verse 8, it says, Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. That's Revelation 19, verse 11, when it says the sword comes out of his mouth. I mean, the, the, the same mouth that spoke the world into existence is going to be able to go Antichrist and just slay him like that. So this is just a, a brief history of the Antichrist. It's not yet happened, but it will come. The third thing we get from this passage in verse 5 is that he's being kept back right now. It says, so don't you remember, don't you remember that I told you about all this and when, in, and when I was with you? I'm sorry, did I miss something here? No. Okay. And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when, it, when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. So there's something restraining the Antichrist from being revealed right now. Some say it's government. <laughs> oh, man. Let's just, let's just move to the next one. Some say it's the church. I'm sorry, but I don't think the church is restraining the Antichrist either, because there's a lot of churches out there like, man, are they even Christian? So I don't think the church is holding him back either. Most believe that it's the Holy Spirit holding the Antichrist back, restraining him. And I think that's correct. He is the one who restrains. You see, only God can restrain the devil. It's the power and authority of God. You take him out of the equation, and instantly, he's going to come into power. You see, there's a time that's coming when he, the Holy Spirit, will be taken out of the way. And the first thing that's going to happen is the Antichrist will be revealed. 
just like that. He will come into power like that. The fourth thing we see in this is there's going to be false miracles. Look at verse 9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with a counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. So in this time, there's going to be satanic miracles that are so convincing that people say, how could this not be God? But this is during the tribulation. None of this is happening now. It is not happening yet. Revelation chapter 6 is not happening yet. We can see pre-signs of those things to come. I, I was thinking about, maybe I should do a show of hands. Does, it, does somebody want me to do like a current world events, things that sort of line up with things that could be taking place and happening now? Sure. Then come on Wednesday nights. <laughs> These things aren't happening yet, but they will. We're not to be caught unaware. We're not surprised by these things. The only thing that we're going to be surprised about is the rapture. I, I cannot wait for that. I mean, they, they, say it's, they say it's going to happen like in a twinkling of an eye. It's like, do 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 and we're going to be at the Lord. I've always wanted it to be kind of slow. I mean, I, I want to hear the blast, and then I just want to start going up slow. I, I don't want to go, I mean, I've always wanted to fly, but I, I just want to whoa, this is amazing, and then go up. I mean, not only that, because it's not just that I'm just going to be raising up. It says you're going to be glorified in that moment. Your body is going to be transformed and glorified in that same moment as you become a new creation and in that very moment. So the rapture is going to be an awesome thing. This can sound, I mean, if, if you have not been raised in church, or maybe you're here for the first time, like, this guy is nuts what he's talking about. The Bible's talking about this. I don't feel like I'm taking it out of context. God has made us physical body, soul, and spirit. He did not make us for destruction. He did not make us for sin and death. He made us eternal. And in this moment, we're going to experience that in the rapture of the church. And not only that, it says that those who are in the grave are going to be raptured first. And we're going to be caught up in heaven with them. So somehow, God is going to take all that was made up of their physical body and reunite that with their soul and their spirit who are there right now up in heaven and combine them and glorify them as well. It's going to be an amazing time. That's what God has made us for. But there's a time coming called the tribulation. It's not going to be a good time. I think we're close. Everybody's been saying we've been close for thousands of years now. But there are things taking place that are in place now that have never been in place before, even 15, 20 years ago. Things that people thought, well, how is this going to work? I can read through Revelation right now, and I can say, it's going to happen this way. Oh, I can see how it could happen this way. I can see how it could happen this way. All these things you can see that are in place right now to where it's not going to take years. It could happen quick. So let me wrap it all up into this. Are you ready? Are you in right relationship with God? You need to be. You don't want to go through this time. You say, oh, here, the pastor's scaring us. No, I'm not. The word of God should put the fear of God in you. I'll tell you what. Not wanting to go through the tribulation because I'm right with God has kept me straight probably more than anything else in my life as far as fear goes in. Now, as I've grown in my relationship with God, out of love now, I don't want to 
be in the wrong place because I, I love God. I want to please him. But there was times in my life where I was like, I'm not going to go that way because I don't want to miss it. Amen. I don't want to go through this. And it's kept me straight. We need to be prepared. You need to be in right relationship with God the Father. Amen. And the way you are is through his son. Amen. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess through your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. In this church age, this age of grace, where you don't work for salvation, but you received the gift of salvation through Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. If everybody would just for a moment just bow your heads, because you can't be preaching about stuff like this and teaching about stuff like this and then not give people the opportunity to be in right relationship. As I said, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess through your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. It's not joining a church. It's not putting a 20 in the, in the, in the tithe as it goes by. It's a belief and a confession. So if you believe that there is a God, there's only one God. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. He's God the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. If you believe that Jesus is God the Son and that he came to this earth, as the Bible says, that he lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could be that perfect sacrifice to, to remove our sin and bring us back into relationship with a holy God. And if you believe that he died on the cross and he resurrected from the grave, that he conquered sin and death, that he is in heaven right now with the Father, and that with that belief upon your confession that you're made right with God, that's what it takes to be saved. So my question to you this morning, I know, I know most everybody here. There's some people I don't. So for those that I don't know, or maybe you haven't shared with me that you've, that you've accepted Jesus as Lord, let me ask you right now, do you believe that Jesus is God the Son and that he can save you from your sin and bring you back into right relationship with God? If you've never declared that to anyone else before, but you want to today, first, would you raise your hand? First step. Susan, I already know you're saved, but that's good. I know, you, Joe, I baptize you. You're saved. I know it. Anybody else? I'm saying for, for people that say, you know what? I've never asked Jesus to save me. Thank you. That's awesome. Anybody else? Thank you. So now it's the confession part. If you just raise your hand, would you worth where you're at just stand up? It may, you may think, well, you're bringing attention to me? Yeah, I am. Because you're confessing Christ. So Tracy, would you stand up? Joe, you're saved, but I'm good. You stand with her, so you're saved. That's good. Maybe this is even just a recommitment. It's to know that you know that you know. But I want you to know from this point forward, Tracy, you are saved. And we're going to pray right now, and you're going to make that confession. And any doubts you may have had before, don't have them anymore. Because I can tell you, with these witnesses right here, with all of us that see you and testify with you, you are the Lord's. So church, would you partner with me? And Tracy, I want you to repeat this prayer with me, but it's your prayer. And church, would you join with us and just an affirmation that Tracy, you are saved and you are God's and you are kept in him and nothing can separate you from his love. Romans chapter eight. So church, let's pray. Say, dear heavenly father, today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
Thank you for taking away my sin and making me a new creation in you. I am your, say, son or daughter, whichever one applies to you this morning. I am your, for me, son. I am saved. And I will be resurrected from the grave. Or raptured. And I look forward to that day. In Jesus' name. Amen.